The Academy thinks they're great, but they're not great. <laughs> There's our cold open. <laughs> God. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world. Listeners, welcome to episode 31 of the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, where we're not flashy, but we're good. I am Glenn, and we're here to talk about the Oscar nominees for the Best Original Score category for the year 2016, but to do that, I'm going to have to bring in my brother, my own flesh and blood, Mr. Scott Butler. Scott, are you ready to talk about these scores? God, that's a loaded question. It is. And these scores are a load. Well, that is as may be. We'll get into that. <laughs> you forgot to mention this is the second annual Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular Oscars preview. Oh, yes, of course. Following up on our gala blockbuster Oscar preview episode last year. Last year where I correctly predicted the winner. Yes, you did. I made sure to remind everyone in the chat thread. <laughs> There's a chat thread? There, uh, there are a couple. <laughs> yes, I last year I correctly called that the Hateful Eight would win Best Score, and I also correctly called that Star Wars should have won Best Score. So I was two for two. Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> well, we will, uh, we will see how you do this year. Probably less well. Oh, haven't we all? <laughs> Now, we should point out that we haven't actually seen most of these movies, so it's kind of hard to judge a score without having seen the movie it's supposed to be scoring, so to that extent, we're being entirely unfair. We're judging these scores based solely on the CD release of each score. Well, that's a, a sort of dual purpose that all of these things serve, and you got to consider how you're going to judge it. You know, we are people listening to music, so we're going to judge it as music that we're listening to. It's a different consideration if you're a filmmaker wanting something to plug into your movie, or if you're an Academy voter, maybe voting on the function of the music in the film. Well, that's my point. I generally judge a score more on how well it works in the film than just how much I enjoy listening to it. You know, if it works in the film, but it's not a great album experience, well, then it served its purpose, because it's not created as an album. It's created as a film score but we haven't the only movie that we've actually watched is la la land so the other four we're judging entirely unfairly but judge we will indeed and let's get into it the first nominee that we're going to discuss tonight is jackie by mika levy
Levy is a classically trained composer, part of an experimental pop music band, which sounds delightful, and has not done a whole lot of films. I know she's done at least one other, which also kind of resulted in a split opinion among film score fandom, uh, as this has a little bit. Well, that word experimental sounds about accurate. I tried to watch Jackie. It was my original goal that I should watch the films to judge the scores more fully. And I watched this movie until I got to the first scene where Natalie Portman talked in her Jackie Kennedy voice. At which point I just noped straight out of the thing. Oh goodness. Which I find kind of ironic because she was also nominated for Best Actress. But we're not here to judge that category. (laughs) But you could certainly call this score experimental, I suppose. It's definitely not thematic or melodic or anything relating to music oh i mean it's music well it has notes i suppose and it's made with instruments yes um there's there's a lot of um pitch bending in in several of the tracks that's one of the devices that she comes back to over and over again, and that's one of the things that creates a really kind of cold, alienating feeling in the music, which really pervades the entire score. Yes, but throughout this entire score, there is not one single tune or melody. There's there's one track with a uh, flute melody that I think is a little uh, warmer than the rest. Okay, you're right, there is the one track with the flute. You know, that kind of cuts through the sameness. Okay. okay, there's one track with something you could conceivably call a tune or melody. Good job. Okay, well that gets to another uh, bias that you may or may not have in discussing a lot of this music. I mean, I know we yeah. are both highly biased in favor of uh, thematic, melodic, tuneful music. Yes, I like melodies in my music. You want to call that a bias? I thought that was part of the definitional aspect of the genre. Well, it's a preference, to be sure. I mean, this has a lot of uh, textural elements, and we're going to be using that word a lot tonight. I don't like random noises repeated endlessly. I like tunes and melodies. Again, they're not random. They're very intentional. Yes, they're very intentional sequence of about three or five seconds of noise that's then repeated. Over and over and over and over and over for the entirety of the track, which is only about 30 seconds to a minute long, but feels like years. You mentioned earlier the function of music in a film, and I think from what I've read about it, that one of the things that the film was going for was portraying Jackie Kennedy as a sort of austere, kind of locked-off person. Someone who's locked off from various parts of her life. Like, she's watching these momentous events happen around her, around her husband's assassination and the, and the funeral and all that. And so what the music is doing is reflecting that isolation and reflecting that coldness, which is done with some skill, but as an isolated listen, as, as you mentioned, as a listening experience on an album, it's uh, pretty dull. I honestly thought when we were preparing to do this episode, our second annual Oscars preview, I honestly thought no matter what gets nominated, 
at the very least, none of them are going to be worse than Sicario. Joke's on me, because the very first one, bang out of the gate, it's worse than Sicario. Oh, I don't know if it's worse than Sicario. As a listening experience? Oh, oh god. Oh god, Sicario was so bad. I tried to give this a second listen. Because, you know, I like to let things sit and, you know, uh -huh. sort of assimilate them to an extent and then listen to them again with more knowledge of the material rather than having just a first blush opinion. I tried to give this a second listen and I got about halfway into track two and then I just said, okay, fuck this shit. I have a certain amount of dedication to making your podcast a quality podcast, but fuck it if I'm going to sit through the Jackie score a second time. That is too much. I'll do anything for this podcast, but I won't do that. Uh, just some other background information on on this score before we get out of here. Um, a lot of it was composed before Mika Levy had seen the film, which is... Entirely kind of, unsurprising. Well, that's kind of a European style of film composing. Uh, we talked about Ennio Morricone last year. He does that a lot. Um, it, it, it's it's kind of a, a, a European style that a few people do in the U.S. I think Hans Zimmer does it sometimes. Of course, he's European as well. Now that this has been nominated for the Oscar, Levy becomes only the third woman ever to be nominated for an Oscar for composing music. Or composing a score. Who are the other two? The other two were Anne Dudley for The Full Monty. Oh, that was a good one. She won, didn't she? She did. They split them that year, Best Dramatic Score and Best Comedy Score, and she won Best Comedy Score. Yes, uh, Comedy and Musical, I think they called it, but yeah. Because that was the same year as, like, Titanic, wasn't it? I think that was the year after Titanic. Was it? Because I remember there was some other big movie that won the Best Score. I believe Full Monty was 98. Okay. What would have been the big dramatic movie in 98? When did The English Patient come out? That was like 96, wasn't it? No, it wasn't The English Patient. It was something I actually liked. 98. Was that Shakespeare in Love? No, that was 99. Because I remember everyone getting all up in arms when Shakespeare in Love beat Saving Private Ryan. For best picture, yeah. No, for best score. <laughs> ha! You're full of shit! Full Monty was 1997. Okay! All right. Which was, if I remember correctly, the same year as Titanic. Yes, indeed. Next time, just listen to me. Well, <laughs> you can edit the podcast to make it look like I did. <laughs> hey, I edit these things to make me look good. Well, I gotta do another pass, then. <laughs> the other uh, woman who won for Best Original Score was Rachel Portman for Emma. And she, so it is worth pointing out that, that the other two women who have ever been nominated for this category in the history of the Oscars have both won. That is interesting. But I think it's safe to say that we were both a little disappointed with this particular entry. Well, you've been defending it this entire time. What did you think? I've made clear my opinion. What did you think of this score? Well, I said a couple minutes ago, I mean, I understand what it's doing, but it's, it's as you would say, dreadfully dull. <laughs> let's move on now to our next nominee which whatever you want to say about it at least isn't dull and that is La La Land by Justin Hurwitz
not dull. I might argue with that. Really? Because I figured whatever you might want to say about it, it's at least kind of vibrant. The movie is kind of vibrant. The songs in the film are kind of vibrant. Some tracks of this, I guess you could call vibrant. But a great large swath of this score, I would say, is best described as mildly pleasant. Which is a great improvement over the listening experience of Jackie, but it's, you know, again, a lot of these tracks are really, really, really short. Like a minute long. And they're just sort of like a little setup for a cute scene, and that's it. Right. Well, the scoring demands on a musical are going to be a little different from your run-of-the-mill dramatic picture. And so you're going to get shorter tracks. You're going to get a lot of little bitty tracks to kind of introduce scenes in that way. Well, yeah, and, all the longer musical pieces in the film were the songs of the musical. Yeah, and, and I believe I also read in Jackie two of the showcase scenes were underscored with songs from the musical Camelot. That's an interesting choice. So that's that's... A way that kind of opportunities for, for longer, more fleshed-out score pieces are kind of removed when you're using source music or for a musical when you're using the songs. I find myself very conflicted about how to judge this movie. Because with the exception of the Mia and Sebastian theme, every other musical theme in this score is not actually from this score. It's the tune from one of the songs that's then used instrumentally to underscore other scenes. Well, it's the songs and the score kind of working in concert. Yes, but then how do you judge the score? Because the Academy has a rule, which I hate and rail against, but the Academy has a rule that practically disqualifies scores whose themes are based on previous work. That's why when they did that Oscars promo for The Force Awakens, and again when they did the Oscars promo for Rogue One, those, the Oscars promo has no main title or end title or any track that has any Star Wars theme in it because you're not allowed to judge someone on how they use a theme they wrote for a previous movie. All the music has to be original to this score. And so then how do you judge... La La Land, where none of this music is original to the score. It comes from the songs. It's original to the movie. It, it's all integrated in the product that they were making. It, it, that rule is about using previous material, and possibly material by another composer. That's about rewarding the thing that was done. And, to be fair, that's going to be the conversation if La La Land wins, which, spoilers about whether the score on its own is substantial enough to win a scoring award. See, I'm very conflicted about that, because that rule that I just cited the Academy has, I hate that rule. I think it's a stupid fucking rule. Yeah, generally. I, I, th I think if John Williams writes a great Star Wars score that uses themes he wrote in 1977 and 1980, and it's a great score and it's a great composition using that material that he wrote previously... But it's a new composition. It's not just copy and paste. Yeah, they're not needle dropping it. It's the same thing when they didn't give Howard Shore the Oscar for Two Towers. Because they said, well, this is all derivative of stuff he wrote for The Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, they disqualified it from nomination. I thought that was fucking stupid. I hated that decision. 
And that's pro that's one of the reasons probably why people didn't vote for Force Awakens last year, which I thought should have won. I hate that rule. I hate that prejudice among the Academy voters. And so then how can I sit here with any semblance of credibility and try to make that same argument about tunes that came out of the songs? And, but at the same time, I do have that sort of instinct to just dismiss the score. Like, well, that's just an instrumental version of the song. It's not actually written as a score. Like I said, my feelings on this score are very conflicted. I think exactly what you want in a musical score, more often than not, is something that integrates the melodies from the songs to kind of carry that through line through all of the music in the film. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. And yet I still have this instinct to just dismiss it because, well, that's just the tune from the song. That's not actually written as a score. Again, I'm not consistent or actually sure which way I want to go on the argument. I'm just, I just feel very conflicted about this score. In addition to the fact that it's made up largely of like 60 to 90 second bits that I would call mostly mildly pleasant. Yeah, as to the merits of the music itself, I find it much like the film, much like the songs, much like the performances, rather inoffensively pleasant. Yeah. I should note, I don't know if we've mentioned this explicitly, this is the movie we watched. We actually watched this one because because the music in this movie is so wrapped up in the songs and so much of the musicality of the film is in the songs because it is a musical. And so as much as you can't judge a score without seeing the movie it's supposed to be scoring, you really couldn't judge this score without seeing the movie. Because like the main theme that runs through most of this score is the tune for the song from the opening number that isn't on the CD. So I didn't even realize it was the tune from a song until I saw the opening number in the film. And also there's a track on here where when I first listened to, to it, I noted down in my notes that, well, it sounds like one of those notes is off slightly. Like they hit like a wrong note or they hit like a flat instead of a sharp or something like that. Like just something sounded a little off on one of the tracks. And then we watched the movie and I saw, oh, this is Ryan Gosling actually playing this piece of music. So maybe it's intentional that they had one of the notes off slightly. Mm. A lot of the music in this movie also sort of straddles the line. Like, is it score or is it source music? Because of a, lot, a lot of it like looks like it's being played by Ryan Gosling's character in the film. Or like it starts off being played by Ryan Gosling's character and then spins off on its own. Or it, like, underscores a bunch of, like, montage scenes, and then at the end, the end of it looks like it's being played by Ryan Gosling's character. So it sort of transitions between being pure score and being actual source music that Ryan Gosling is playing in the story. Yeah, the way that the makers of the film approached the whole milieu of the, of the musical was to have that kind of dreamlike sensibility whenever they launched into a big number. Rather than doing like a more straightforward classic musical style where there's just a story and every so often they launch into song. One other thing I noticed, and like I said, we're not here to judge the acting, although I kind of did for uh, Natalie Portman earlier. Ryan Gosling is really good at acting like he's playing the piano, like he couldn't possibly be less interested in playing the piano. And singing as if he couldn't be less interested in singing. Which is a surprisingly large part of his character in this film. Yes. Also, has there ever been a film... I know people often talk about, like, artsy movies or, like, particular dramatic movies. They call... They say that those are just Oscar bait movies. Like, they're designed to attract Oscar votes. Has there ever been a more Oscar baity movie than this one? Like, a movie directly emulating 1950s movies all about how great the movie industry is 
and how people should aspire to be acting and how great it is to live your dream and become an actress. <laughs> Has there ever been a movie more designed to appeal to 80-year-old Academy voters than this one? And yet also about how great jazz used to be. Exactly. Everything used to be better 80 years ago. Yeah. Well, I think probably jazz was better 80 years ago before white people took it over, but anyway. You think 80 years ago is before white people took it over? Well, I'm not a scholar. I couldn't place it exactly, but... Well, I saw Ken Burns' documentary, Jazz. Yes. So I feel I'm knowledgeable. I watched that once in, like, 1996. <laughs> so I feel I'm knowledgeable on the subject as a white guy. <laughs> as a white guy, I watched a movie made by a white guy 20 years ago, and so I feel I'm knowledgeable. All right. You know, in contrast to some of the other things we have tonight, in contrast to Jackie, I think the distinctive thing about La La Land is its vibrancy, is its complete lack of cynicism. And so I can at least appreciate that aspect of it. And like I said, otherwise it's inoffensively pleasant. I'll give it this much credit. However conflicted I am about the source of the tunes and the melodies, there are tunes and melodies. There are several themes. There's a theme for Mia's love of film. There's a, sort of a theme for the jazz part of the story that they introduce. There's sort of an overarching main theme that's the melody from the opening freeway number. The tune from the City of Stars song comes up several more times. There's a theme for the relationship between the two of them. There are several themes, and they're all kind of catchy. They're all pretty melodic and pleasant and interesting to listen to. There's some peppy tracks. There's some slower tracks. I'm talking myself into liking this a lot more as we speak, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>, right? <laughs> I, I didn't like it that much when I was listening to it, but looking back on it now, I guess by comparison, it seems better. And I will say... In the final big scene where they have the... The following section contains spoilers for the movie La La Land. I'll insert that later. <laughs> In the final big scene where they have the AU montage, or whatever that was... Spoilers. When, when that ends... Yes, spoilers for La La Land... When that sequence ends and they return to the jazz club and Ryan Gosling is playing that one phrase on the piano over and over again. When we saw the movie, you know, I was, I was seeing the movie, it was absorbing everything, kind of washed over me. When I went back and listened to that on the album, after the whole big orchestrated number ended and it returned to that simple melody repeated on the piano over and over, that was, like, haunting in, I would imagine, exactly the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> well, that's what I mean about kind of bridging the gap, you know? That track starts off as him playing the piano in the scene, and then it's like a seven-minute dream sequence. Mm. And then at the end of it, he's again playing the piano in the scene. All right, we are going to take a little break and listen to advertisements for all the other great shows on the Place to Be networks and all of our great feeds. We will be back to talk about our other three nominees after this.
consideration paid for by the following. Voice of Ring of Honors, Kevin Kelly here. I just want to make sure you're all subscribed to all of our great feeds here at Place to Be Nation. Now, it's really easy to do. Just head to iTunes or your preferred podcatcher app today and search for and subscribe to the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, Place to Be Nation pop feed, Pro Wrestling Only feed, and of course, the Kevin Kelly Show feed, which includes the full archives of my podcast. Subscribe, listen, and then rate us and leave feedback today. And of course, as always, enjoy all the great action of Ring of Honor Wrestling and everything presented to you on placetobenation.com. PlaceToBeNation's JT Rizzero here, and I want to let you know that we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlaceToBeNation.com, and we offer them to you across two great feeds. On the PlaceToBeNation wrestling feed, you can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the Mothership, the Place to Be podcast with our famous Vintage Wall pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current-day wrestling with the smash hit clotheslines and headlines our steady veteran main event, and the beloved monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on all pro wrestling super shows. Relive wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series led by Ben Morse, the always contentious Dangerous Alliance podcast, and Survey Says, a fun look back at the good, bad, and ugly of WCW. On our very popular Place to Be Nation pop podcast feed, we offer such great shows as the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, Rank and File, NBA Team, Lucha Undead, Geek and Sassy, and a veritable podcast heaven for comic fans with hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, and Imaginary Stories. Subscribe to both of those feeds on iTunes and rate and leave feedback for us as well. All of these shows plus others available at PlaceToBeNation.com where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. Be sure to support our site by using PlaceToBeNation.com backslash Amazon when doing your online shopping and download our free Place to Be Vintage Vault refresh ebooks via the links on the right-hand side of our site. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Rock, Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts, TheHistoryOfWrestling.com and Scott Keats Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr as well. PlaceToBeNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. The PWO PTBN feed has changed its name, now known simply as Pro Wrestling Only, so it should be easier to find and indeed to say. All of your favorite shows are still here, including Where the Big Boys Play, Letters from Kayfabe, Titans of Wrestling, Tag Teams Back Again, This Week in Wrestling, and many, many more including our full archives of tremendous content. So make sure you subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Only feed today.
to our rundown of the Academy Award nominees for Best Original Score. The next nominee we're going to talk about is Lion by Dustin O'Halloran and Hauschka. I had no idea that the Seattle Seahawks place kicker was a movie composer. It's amazing. A man of many talents, I assure you. Hmm. Especially considering that Hauschka is a German composer and pianist uh, whose birth name... I don't, I don't know if we're outing anyone or doxing someone here, is Volker Bartelmann. Uh, Dustin O'Halloran is an Australian piano prodigy and composer who does the Transparent TV series. This score is very, very, very typical. Both of these composers I mentioned a second ago are pianists, and so there's a lot of piano in this score. There's a lot of strings. It's all generally pleasant, but again, pretty bland. It kind of washes over you. At least that was my experience listening to it. Yeah, the note I made, again, I didn't watch this movie, but the note I made is that while it may be good at underscoring, it's really nothing particular to listen to. It just made very little impression on me at all, other than track two of the CD sort of reminded me of the Moonlight Sonata. I mean, it was fine. It wasn't, like, a chore to listen to, like Jackie, but it made very little impression on me. Uh, Now, this movie is about an Indian man, and there was a deliberate decision made not to incorporate any kind of stereotypical Indian instrumentation into the score. It's all very typical Hollywood. That's interesting, because there was, on the score CD that we listened to, there was a song on there. The end credits song, I believe, yeah. And that did have some kind of typical Indian instrumentation in it. Yeah. But, yeah, they made the decision for the score during the body of the film that, you know, it's a straightforward drama, it's a universal story, they, they wouldn't kind of jazz it up with that sort of thing. Probably for the best... I don't know if you want a guy named O'Halloran and a guy named Bertelsmann to be the people doing your traditional Indian instrumentation. Well, I don't know. Uh, Elsewhere in 2016, Michael Giacchino used some to great effect. What, in, um... Doctor Strange. In Doctor Strange, where Tilda Swinton played a Tibetan person? Anywho. (laughs) But yeah, the the, the Lion score is, is... I'm running out of synonyms for dull. <laughs> there's there's one track that literally sounds like one of those 1,000 times slower tracks that were popular a few years ago. <laughs> which made fine meditation or contemplation music. I believe I still have my copy of the 1,000 times slower version of the Jurassic Park theme. But, again, I'm not sure what exactly it's doing in the film, but it, it's all... It's all, it's all very dull. One of the things I do for the podcast is I pick out the musical choices that we use as, like, bumpers between sections and to introduce each film. And I literally got to track 19 of this CD and realized, oh, wait, I haven't been making note of anything we can use as a bumper. Because it made that little impression on me. I, like, forgot that I was supposed to be listening for that. Yeah, it's, it's the sort of music that's very, very easy to just kind of let wash over you, and it, it's very forgettable. And you know, some directors want that, and sometimes that works in a movie, but if you're judging the score, you don't want forgettable. 
Yeah, I mean, it's possible that that's temp-tracking. I mean, that's something that happens in a lot of movies, where everything kind of gets smoothed out. But I think that's about all we have on that one, isn't it? We're not going to keep talking about Doctor Strange. <laughs> Doctor Strange sounded basically like Star Trek Beyond with the serial numbers piled off when I listened to it. I didn't, th- I didn't think it was I didn't think it was that close to beyond. But anyway, let's move on to our next nominee, Moonlight by Nicholas Bertel. another short score uh, like you mentioned before with Jackie this is another one that has a lot of very typical sounding drama or thriller scoring a lot of typical sounding tension music there is a theme that comes up a few times but only a few times I think the film is kind of separated into three sections during the life of the protagonist, and the few times that the theme comes up, it does show progression. It's passed to different sets of instruments, and it's kind of changed a little in that way. But other than that, this score is very, very atmospheric. Yeah, this is another one that didn't make much of an impression on me. I mean, it was fine. I kind of liked some of it. And, you know, it had melodies and tunes, I'm not saying that. But there were three different tracks on this CD that were labeled as somebody's theme, and none of them really made enough of an impression on me to, like, remember them. They were all just sort of really slow piano and violin, and they didn't really make a distinct impression on me in any way. Well, those were all the same theme. They were just calling the protagonist different things at different points in the film. I guess that would be why I couldn't really tell them apart. I feel less bad now about not being able to tell them apart. I guess that's a place where seeing the film would have helped me. I suppose. That that brings me, though, one thing I noticed about these, and I guess we may as well talk about it now, because Passengers is sort of the outlier, but the other four, these are all really short scores. Yeah. And again, we can only judge these based on the CDs, so it's hard to tell how much music is actually in the movie as opposed to just how much they put on the CD, but... Jackie, the CD, is only 34 minutes of music, you know? Moonlight is 38 minutes. And that's with a few songs. That's true, that's even including a few songs. And even even La La Land, with the songs, is still less than an hour. I mean, compare that to Passengers, that's like 109. And other movies from the year, like Rogue One is 109, and Captain America is 109, and Doctor Strange is 106. You know... 
34 minutes of Jackie, 38 minutes in Moonlight. It's These are very short CDs, and they have very short tracks. The average track on the Moonlight CD is only a minute 49. I think you're going to find that a lot of dramas are going to be scored a little more sparsely than the kind of tentpole blockbuster films. You know, a lot of those are scored wall-to-wall, or nearly so. Okay, but even the tracks that are this person's theme, they're all about a minute. The three theme tracks is one minute, 57 seconds, and 58 seconds. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the Mia and Sebastian theme from La La Land is a minute and 36 seconds. You compare that to other tracks that are called X person's theme. You know, if you go back to last year's Force Awakens, Ray's theme is 311. Mm-hmm. Well, that was... That was, again, in, in a, a tentpole genre film, which has longer sections of score to kind of support some more of the action. And race theme, of course, in particular, is a concert suite, but point taken. I mean, maybe it's a genre prejudice, I don't know. But then again, is it a genre prejudice if I'm just saying there's very little music here? And it makes very little impression? Well, it's... You know, if those other genre films have so much more music... And and so much bolder music because of the type of film, well, maybe that's the kind of music that should be nominated for Best Music. If you're making excuses for why there's so little music and why it's so bland, well, maybe just say it's bland, don't nominate that. Well, sure. I mean, these aren't things that I would have nominated if I was the Academy, but, you know. Well, I'm going to get to them. <laughs> They're on your list. I'm going to go. I'm going to go on like a... Well, let's let's move on to our last nominee before you go on any more rants right now. Our last nominee is For Reasons Passing Understanding, Passengers by Thomas Newman. You can say for reasons passing understanding after we've already talked about Jackie and Moonlight and Lion and La La Land? reason it's... Okay. I say it's for reasons passing understanding because those other movies are prominent and well-reviewed and have significant awards season pushes behind them. How in the world did Passengers get nominated? Because it's done by Thomas Newman? Like, why did the PR agency for whichever studio made this put enough oomph behind this to get it nominated? I understand... Because what other nomination was Passengers going to get? And it's done by Thomas Newman. Of the six people we've talked about, he's the only one that's done anything anyone's ever heard of. Well, 
I mean, that must be a large part of it, because Thomas Newman has been nominated over a dozen times now. Didn't he win for American Beauty? No, I don't believe he's ever won. Huh, that's surprising. American Beauty was 99. That was Shakespeare in Love, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Uh, Speaking of American Beauty and other scores that Thomas Newman has done that you'd recognize, like Shawshank Redemption and a couple others... He was also nominated last year for Bridge of Spies. He was also nominated last year for Bridge of Spies, but speaking of his scores that are a little more prominent, a lot of the texture and a lot of the feel of a lot of his other scores can be found right here in Passengers. (laughs) It was extremely Newman-y. It's like, I believe the writer of the film, or one of the writers, it went through a lot, um, said that he wrote it listening to other Newman music, uh, Wally, I think. And I remember when Newman was announced for this, it seemed a little unlikely because he hasn't done a, a ton of sci-fi movies. But some people were speculating maybe it would be in the vein of Wally, which, while not one of my favorite scores, has its proponents. Yeah, there were a couple of tracks, like, uh, the track that's named after the main character, Aurora, and uh, track six, Crystalline, mm-hmm. and also the later track, Starlit. I all, I made particular notes about them that they sounded very, very much like Thomas Newman music. Yes. Also, a lot of these tracks sounded, especially the beginning of the score and again toward like the end of the middle or beginning of the end, a lot of the tracks sounded what I would call like very bleep bloopy. Like, this is the future, and it sounds like beep, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, you know? There were a lot of electronic textures, yes. Yeah. And and then a whole section in the middle that's very acoustic, you know, to kind of draw contrast throughout the story. But there are definitely those electronic passages that might sound a little odd. Yeah, they sort of... More than anything, they stood out to me as like, this is the future, and so this is what it sounds like when you press buttons and do things. It sounded like very self-conscious. Yeah, I'm sure some of it was. But yeah, it, it it's just, I can't kind of get over how much it's like Thomas Newman's greatest hits. <laughs> and not, not in a James Horner way, where James Horner would reuse themes and melodies all the time. And sometimes from classical music, sometimes from his previous scores, some of which had reused melodies from classical music. It's an Ouroboros. Um, here, it, it's it's in the textures. And that's something that, that Newman has excelled at throughout his career in, in making kind of offbeat textures and kind of using that textural material to really convey the emotion of the music. But... Here, it's a little stripped down. It's it's a little more basic. Can I just say the first track of this score really scared me? Because right. after listening to the droning monotony of Jackie... You're really hitting on Jackie here. Oh, it's, it's, but after suffering through that, and then the other ones that were just very bland and empty and nothing, and even La La Land, which was in large part 30-second clips of mild pleasantness... I finally got to, like, a genre film from a composer who had done other really famous scores that I knew and liked. 
and track one is like four minutes of a Celeste beat. <laughs> and I was like ready to smash my skull in. Like, what are you doing to me, Thomas Newman? I was counting on you for a theme. I was counting on you for some music. What are you doing? And then the rest of the score wasn't great, but it wasn't just four minutes of a Celeste beat. No, 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 no. No, it's a few minutes of something that sounds like it's about to launch into music from the Shawshank Redemption, and then doesn't. And yeah. then some offbeat instrumentation that sounds like it's going to launch into something from American Beauty, and then doesn't. I made a particular note of the track you brought me back, that basically, for two minutes, it sounds like it's building up to something really cool, and then it just ends. Well, you'll get that sometimes. I'd rather have the really cool. Yes. I mean, I like the build-up. The build-up makes the really cool really cooler, but you have to actually have the really cool. Otherwise, it's just nothing. Yeah, yeah. There were also a few textures that reminded me a little bit of Moon by Clint Mansell, which was a very, very good score, which, again, used a lot of textures to emphasize someone who was alone and really felt that, that aching loneliness, which, you know, Chris Pratt or J-Law might feel wandering around this humongous spaceship. But, again, it's just a little bit of a texture... And then back to something a little more generically Thomas Newman. So I kind of had a hard time with this one. Yeah, I only listened to this through twice, so there's probably a lot I'm not picking up on. But the closest thing to a repeating theme I picked up on was like a, not even a theme, it's sort of a motif that sounded a little bit like part of the B theme of the Jurassic Park theme. And I only noticed that in like t two tracks. And it was like just very subtle and not a lot there. So yeah, overall, I think it's a pretty disappointing slate of nominees. I saw four movies this year in the theater. Yeah. And I might be willing to say that all four of them had better scores than all of these nominees. And the only one I'd quibble on is Captain America, because that was also a very sort of blah score, but that had a couple of tracks that were kind of exciting. These are all just so empty. With the exception of Jackie, which is actually a pain, an actual trial to listen to. Uh, the things we do for podcasts. Um, I didn't think any of these could possibly be worse than Sicario. I was worried because you said there was another Johan Johansson score that might get nominated this year. And then it wasn't. And I thought, okay, we dodged that bullet. But no. Yeah, and a lot of people said that didn't get nominated because they did needle drop another composer's cue into the middle of the movie. That was another divisive one, but we're not talking about that one. I've been staring at the edge of the water long as I can remember never really knowing why I wish I could be the perfect daughter but I come back to the water No matter how hard I try Every turn I take, every trail I track Every path I make, every road leads back To the place I know where I cannot go Where I long to be See the light where the sky needs to see It calls me And no one knows how far it goes 
just no telling how far I'll go. I know. So we've gone through all of these nominees for best original score and weighed them and measured them and found them wanting. Very, very, very wanting. Uh, do you want to hit on the best original song nominees really quickly before uh, before we move on? Well, two of them are from the musical. Yes. And one of them is by Lynn manuel Miranda, which is really my only brooding interest in this, is that I'd like to see him get the EGOT. Yeah, this is the last one he needs for the EGOT, right? Which, depending on how many other things you want to pile on, he also won a Pulitzer, so he would have the PGOT. Yes. And he also got a MacArthur Foundation Genius Award, so he would have the Mac PGOT. Awesome. Yes. I mean, obviously my rooting interest is for Lin-Manuel, just because he's Lin-Manuel. Um, obviously one of the songs from La La Land is going to win. Oh, we didn't hit on that with the scores. Obviously La La Land's going to win, right? Oh, we didn't even talk about who we thought was going to win, because they're all so shitty! <laughs> I mean, I mean, and in both categories, obviously La La Land's going to win, right? Everyone says La La Land is going to win, mostly just because it's a musical and people associate musicals with music. And so even though this isn't judging it on the things that make it a musical, people are just going to vote for it anyway. Because apparently people think Academy voters are really fucking stupid. And judging by this set of nominees, I would tend to agree Academy voters are really fucking stupid. For me, I guess it's kind of a toss-up between La La Land and Passengers. Those are the only two that weren't... I guess I'd go with La La Land. But it's just... Oh. How does mildly pleasant make you the cream of the crop? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I can mention a few of the scores that I really liked from last year, but they're all from the dreaded genre pictures. But anyway, back to these songs. I have a question, and I don't know if you know this. When they nominate a song... Do they nominate the version that's in the midst of the movie, or do they nominate the version that's like on the end credits and on the soundtrack CD? See, that's an interesting question because sometimes you get these songs nominated and they're just end credits songs, right? Well, then it's pretty clear because there's only one version. Right. And this year, most of the songs are from, like, the midst of the story of the film. There are two from the musical. Moana was another musical. The Trolls movie, was that a full-on musical, or did it just have a couple of songs? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I know that song was part of the movie. Yeah. It was in the story. Yeah, they were all in the midst of the, of the film. But the two from La La Land are just performed in the movie, and that's it. The Justin Timberlake song from Trolls, there's two different versions of it. Because there's one version where it's just Justin Timberlake singing the song. And then the version that was actually in the midst of the story is sung by him and some of the other actors and other characters in the movie. And the Moana song, again, there's a version from the midst of the story that's sung by the actress who plays Moana. And then there's also another version that's sung by a pop singer that has a very different voice, and there's different orchestration and instrumentation in that version. And I personally like the one from the midst of the movie a lot more than I like the sort of popified version. And so, thus my question, which one is being nominated? Which one are we judging? Well, I haven't seen the film, so I don't know if that's over the end credits or if that's just something they did for the soundtrack album. If there isn't, like, this, a second version of the song actually in the end credits, then I would assume that it's the one that's in the movie. Because, based on that, I think that would actually be my favorite of this crop. Hmm. Again, people assume something from La La Land will win, but those songs are kind of spare. 
And there's two of them nominated, so maybe they'll split the La La Land vote and Lin-Manuel will walk away with it. It's possible, and certainly I, I'm wishing pretty hard for Lin-Manuel, but yeah. I, I'm pretty sure one of the La La Land songs is going to take it. Also, this Sting song, The Empty Chair... Yeah, that was Sting? Surprised the hell out of me. I like that song a lot. It's it's sort of, it's sort of like, tired, and I, I, I liked it a lot. That would actually be my second favorite out of this crop of songs. Number one would be the Moana song. Number two would be the Empty Chair. And number three would be the popified end credits version of the Moana song. Hmm. The the Trolls song by Justin Timberlake was, of course, extremely poppy. Well, that was it's basically and a Justin Timberlake song. I think yeah, it sounds sure. like a lot of his songs. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, is there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying that's a bad song. It's catchy. It's poppy. It's got a good beat. Yeah. I'm not saying every single one of these song nominees is better than every single score nominee. <laughs> even even the La La Land songs that that shit works better as songs. Those aren't my favorite songs. But they're still better than the scores to mo- all these movies. So I would not say a bad thing about any of these songs that were nominated. But Justin Timberlake, I mean, it's pop. It's fine. I, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not offensive in any way, but it's just not my cup of tea. Mm. I'm not saying I unenjoy it or dislike it at all, but it's just not something that appeals to me in particular. Yeah, that's fair. That's sort of my opinion on the Moana song. The, the pop version has, like, more poppy instrumentation rather than a more a simple instrumentation from within the movie. And the actress who sings it has just sort of a very clear, strong voice as opposed to sort of a raspy voice that the pop singer has. Not, mm. not raspy. It's probably not the right word, but what's the word I'm looking for? You're a music guy. I don't know. Earthy? Yeah, that's a good word for it, too. It just, it puts a different spin on the lyrics, and I kind of like that just, like, bold, clear voice that the actress has when she sings it. I like that better. Mm. Yeah, and because it's written by Lin-Manuel, and, and, and in Moana, it has more of the feel of a musical song. A song from a musical, as opposed to just, you know, a Sting song, or a Justin Timberlake song. I... Could you even call this a Sting song? It doesn't sound anything like Sting. I don't care if he's the one that sings it. I haven't heard a Sting album in a very long time. That might just be what Sting does now. Okay, maybe you're right. I'm com- I'm comparing it to, like, you don't have to put on the red light. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe his style has changed in the last 30 years and I just wasn't around for it. So which one do you think is going to win, then? If you if you think the one of the La La Lands is going to win, what's your pick? I think the one that will win is probably the Audition song. Uh, that's not the one that I would personally prefer. Really? Between yeah. the two La Land songs, I would say that's my favorite. Really? Yeah. Hmm. You like the... Uh... I, I didn't really like the Audition song particularly much. You you prefer Ryan Gosling singing like he couldn't possibly be more uninterested in singing? I think that was, I think that was an interesting way to approach this song, yeah. Because... <laughs> Elsewhere in the movie, it does have a more upbeat, kind of optimistic interpretation. And the sort of wistful way that it's performed, when it's performed as a full song, uh, was was a little more interesting. See, I I think I'm going to predict that the La La Land vote gets split and Lin-Manuel takes it. Oh, hopefully. That's going to be my prediction. 
Now, when they perform these songs, are they actually going to have Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling singing? Or are they going to, like, bring in ringers? I don't know. Because the last time they nominated... Well, it might not be the last time. I don't pay close attention to these things. I remember when they nominated a song from a musical film previously, when they nominated Blame Canada from South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, they didn't have the actual actors who performed it in the movie singing at the Oscars. They brought in a ringer in the form of Robin Williams. (laughs) That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. So do you think they're going to have Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone performing the songs, since they're the ones that sing it in the film and are nominated? Or are they going to bring in, like, Adele or... Adele Dazeem. <laughs> I imagine they'll probably have the actors do it. They did have the actors do the uh, Les Mis number that got nominated, right? Oh, did they? Yeah, I and, think right. And they're nominated for acting awards. They're going to be there. Sure. So, yeah, I imagine they'll do that themselves. I think that will do it for our look at the Oscar musical categories this year. Uh, ran down two of them for you this year. We'll uh, see if we keep doing that. And we took pot shots at a couple of the acting categories. So, did we? <laughs> well, I well I didn't really take a pot shot at Ryan Gosling. I just I noted his ability to act like he's playing the piano, like he couldn't possibly be more uninterested in playing the piano. Well, that's what the character was doing for most of the movie. That's bang on. <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for our look at the Oscars for this year. Happy listening, happy watching. If you would like to contact us and comment on the show, comment on the post for the show on the Police Be Nation Facebook page, or you can reach me on Twitter or Tumblr at Glenny Bun. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions for the show, other topics you'd like us to cover, everything will fall under consideration. Uh, I will listen to any suggestions. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Scott, for being here. We will catch you all next time. If I should close my eyes That my soul can see and There's a place at the table That you save for me So many thousand miles O'er land and sea I hope to dare that you hear my prayer And somehow I'll be there It's but a concrete floor Where my head will lay And though the walls of this prison Are as cold as clay But there's a shaft of light Where I count my days So don't despair Of the empty chair And somehow I'll be there No, you know what? We're not done with the show yet. I want to talk about an actual good piece of fucking music before we finish this show. I said earlier, I saw four movies this year, and I'd say all four of them had better scores than every single thing that was nominated. Now, I know there's a loophole in the copyright law 
that you could play any piece of music you want for as long as you want, as long as you're providing critical commentary onto the music. So I'm going to talk about Star Wars Rogue One by Michael Giacchino. And as long as I can keep talking about it, I can keep playing it. Why wasn't this nominated? This bullshit rule that the Academy has that you can't use a score that's based on previously written music, he barely touched any of the stuff. He barely used any of the old themes, and when he did, it was fucking brilliant! He pulled stuff from Star Wars A New Hope in 1977! He used the original Imperial theme from 77! He used the original Death Star theme from 77! This is shit that Star Wars fans have forgotten existed, and he pulled it out of the archives and put it in this score! And then he wrote two brand new Imperial themes and a brand new Rebel theme! and themes for all the new characters, and that's all new music! None of that's based on anything old! Just because there's a fucking laser blaster in the movie, they won't nominate it? Explain to me, musical person, you're the music score guy, you're my music score news and information guy, you're my movie score news and information guy, explain to me why the fuck Michael G. Kino didn't get a nomination. You can't leave that much dead air, it'll ping us for copyright infringement, you gotta keep talking, you gotta talk about the score, and why you like the score. You gotta talk about his inventive use of the old themes. You have to talk about the new themes he wrote. He wrote a theme for the Empire and a separate theme for the Imperial Orson Krennic. You gotta talk about the track that he wrote for when Darth Vader boards the... What's the planet? It's not Andor. Alderaan. For when Darth Vader boards the Alderanian ship and he fucking slaughters people! He just kicks ass left, right, and center, and there's this huge monster quarrel track that underscores that. And then he has the balls! And they didn't let Giacchino use his usual punny track titles like he does on all his other scores, but he has the balls to write this huge, overarching, heavy quarrel track for when Darth Vader slaughters like 50 Alderaan ship troopers, and then he titles that track HOPE! And they let him do that! That deserves an award! Why was this score not nominated? Glenn, my movie score news and information guy! Educate me! Well, you may have noticed there's a laser blaster in the movie. Aw, <laughs> oh, fuck that shit! I mean, there is the bias against genre pictures, there's the bias against scores that integrate other material, even if it's not, like, expressly outlawed, and even if there was actually very little of the material integrated, um, even though it was integrated sometimes in very impressively subtle ways. How about Star Trek? That had a good score, too, also by Giacchino. You can't say Giacchino doesn't have the respect of the Academy, because he has a goddamn Academy Award. He does. He won for Up. How come none of his Star Trek scores get any goddamn respect? That was pretty big, too, when he won for a cartoon. Which is also something that's not often nominated for categories other than Best Animated Feature. How come we have atonal, amelodic Drek nominated for Best Score, and, and 30 Seconds of Mild Pleasantness nominated for Best Score, and Bleepy Bloopy Emptiness nominated for Best Score, and two entire scores that I can't even remember a single note of, and we don't have Star Trek. You know how many themes are in that movie, and how much music is in that movie? By an Academy Award-winning composer? 
How come none of the Star Trek scores get any respect? We've reviewed 13 Star Trek movies, and with, like, a few Goldsmith exceptions, almost every single one of them had really great scores! How come they never get nominated? How come they never get any respect? One of them got nominated. Really? Which one? Four. Oh, good fucking god! <laughs> but we're not talking about Star Trek 4 right now, we're talking about Star Trek Beyond right now. And I'm gonna keep talking about it, because as long as I talk about it, I can keep playing it, right? That's how the fucking fair use works. As long as I'm providing critical commentary about the Star Trek score, I can keep playing the Star Trek score, and Paramount goons can't touch me. That's, that's the way that copyright law works, right? Place to be nation? I hope! Yes, the Paramount goons who listen to all the Place to Be Nation pop feed podcasts to search for copyrighted music. Yes! Well, you know, they always nominate the genre films and the sci-fi movies for, like, sound design. Oh, yeah, that's great. How come they never nominate a sci-fi score unless it's done by John Williams? Unless it's a sufficiently artsy, dramatic sci-fi score like Interstellar or something like that. Oh, yeah, I remember. People thought Interstellar was going to win. I could I... fart into a tape recorder for 30 minutes and it would be a more enjoyable listen than Jackie. Meanwhile, you've got, like, the Yorktown theme from Star Trek Beyond. That's such a great theme. It, it really was, yeah. No, what are you doing? <laughs> you gotta give me more yeah, it really was yeah. We need to keep talking about the Yorktown theme. You need to explain to me why it's been so good. Because cause, cause as long as you keep explaining, we can keep playing it. You gotta help me out here, dude. I can't carry this on my own. I'm not the brains of this operation. Well, it's really like an old-style theme, right? It's got a really, really long melody. It goes through kind of different moods and different movements. And, and, you know, really kind of carries entire scenes. It's about what I can give you. <laughs> what do you want here? I want you to keep talking about it. You know what had a good score? Pete's Dragon. Did you see the Pete's Dragon movie? I didn't see it. I did hear the score. Oh, that had a great score. It had a better score than Jackie. and a better score than Moonlight. and a better score than Lion. and a better score than Passengers. and a better score than La La Land. And that had a great score. Why didn't that get some respect? That was really good. It had some really good themes. It had some really good action cues. There was a lot of good music in that movie. Kind of surprising because it's just sort of a knockoff Disney thing. You wouldn't expect that to have such a good score. That movie deserved more respect. We should do an episode about Pete's Dragon. That was a great movie. Gwen Stacy and the game maker from the Hunger Games are mom and dad, and Dr. McCoy is the evil hench brother, and there's like a big CGI dragon, and for some reason the dragon has fur, and it has this great score, and really good songs too. Some of those songs could have been nominated ahead of that Drek from La La Land. You know, the one comment I remember hearing on the Pete's Dragon score was from someone who is often of the viewpoint that, you know, everything was better in the past, which normally I kind of roll my eyes at. But someone pointed out that the Pete's Dragon score was good. It had a good theme and everything. It had some good passages. But 25 years ago, we would not be talking about it. Because 25 years ago, there would be, you know, three new Jerry Goldsmith scores this year, and two new John Williams scores this year, and two new James Horner scores this year. 
two new Alan Silvestri scores this year, and and all of these things where these days you kind of have to search a little for the kind of melodic, thematic scores that I know we both prefer. Yeah, nowadays all you get is Michael Levi and Hauschka. I'm sure Hauschka's a very good pianist. Well, he's not as good a movie composer as, uh... What was the fucker's name? Williams. <laughs> no, not Williams! We're done doing it. Williams, actually, Williams did do a movie this year, but it didn't get nominated. Amazingly, it's pretty rare that Williams does a movie that doesn't get nominated, except, well, the last one he did that, that didn't get nominated must have been Indiana Jones, right? What did he do this year? Um, BFG. Nobody does. And nobody will. But we're not talking about John Williams. John Williams was nominated last year. We're talking about Daniel Hart's score for Pete's Dragon. Yes. Which was a great score. It, it, it had some nice slow pieces. It had some faster pieces. It had some action pieces. Some really dramatic pieces. It had some themes that went through it. It, 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 was, it was really very good. I'm like, I know I'm sort of doing a shtick here where I keep ranting for as long as I can so we can keep playing the music, but I really genuinely like the Pete's Dragon score. It was actually better than every single one of the five nominated scores. I actually honestly believe that, not just as part of a comical rant. You know what score I liked? What score did you like? I liked 10 Cloverfield Lane by Bear McCreary. Can you talk about it for about six or eight minutes and I can play some under it? I can try to talk for a couple of minutes. Bear, Mc Bear McCreary's a composer who came up on the Battlestar Galactica TV series. He did the Human Target TV series. He does the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series. He did the Black Sails TV series. The Da Vinci's Demons TV series, which also had a pretty fun score for a couple seasons at least. He's come up on all of these TV shows and 2016 was the year he finally broke into movies. He did 10 Cloverfield Lane, he did The Forest, I think he did another one. Uh, all three were horror pictures, and horror pictures do not often have scores that I like. They're usually full of bitty tracks, like you were talking about with, with Lyle Lane or a couple of the others. A lot They're, of high-pitched rapid strings. A lot of high-pitched rapid strings, a lot of, like, blaring horns that come in as jump scares. Lots of stingers and jump scares and stuff that I don't like in a movie, that I don't like in a theater, and I really don't like on a CD, so I usually do not like horror scores. But Bear McCreary bringing it when he got the Cloverfield assignment. That is a horror score with some genuinely creepy instrumentation, some offbeat instrumentation, the fucking blaster beam hauled out of someone's garage. <laughs> The blaster beam, which has not been seen since, like, 1986. He bought it from Jerry Goldsmith's estate sale? No, he brought in fucking Craig Huxley is what he did. <laughs> a blaster beam from the past. Or beam. Would be the title if it was on a Giacchino score. Yes. He brought in the blaster beam, other atypical instrumentation, wrote a fucking theme for a horror movie that is genuinely creepy and genuinely unsettling, but compelling to listen to for an hour or whatever it is on CD. I have not listened to the Bear McCreary score for 10 Cloverfield Lane, but I will talk about it for a little bit so that I can play some more of it under it, and apparently I'm going to have to listen to some of it because I'm going to have to pick out tracks to play under this nice long rant that you've made about Bear McCreary's score for the film 10 Cloverfield Lane, 
which for some godforsaken reason was not nominated for an Academy Award this year. Oh, good lord, when was the last time they nominated a horror score? The Omen? Which was a fantastic score and a fantastic use in the film, but we're not playing clips of The Omen under this. We're playing tips, clips from Bear McCreary's score to Ted Cloverfield Lane, which I look forward to listening to again to tell you which tracks to put under here. I look forward to listening to those tracks that you tell me to put under here and then listening to them as I put them under here. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Booyah. Also in 2016, if we're looking for innovation in film scoring, you can look at Swiss Army Man by Andy Hull, Robert McDowell, the damn weirdest score that I have ever heard. It's performed a cappella. Some of it is performed a cappella by the actors in the film. Some of it is interpolating the Jurassic Park theme performed a cappella by the people in the film and the people composing the music. It is the most out there wacko film score I have ever heard. It's innovative. I haven't seen the film, but I've heard from people that I would take their word for it that it is perfect for some wacko film. And it, it is fresh and new and would not possibly get nominated. <laughs> is it entirely acapella? Because I think I listened to part of it and I thought there was like some violin or some strings or something like that. It was, it was only, like, mostly the people singing the notes. That's possible. I don't think I've listened to it in about six months. But still! <laughs> There's a few other scores that I liked in 2016. There was Gods of Egypt by, by Marco Beltrami. Terrible, 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 terrible film. But again, a big, lush, thematic score. Of the kind that he completely failed to deliver for the Ben-Hur remake. He did the Ben-Hur remake and the Gods of Egypt movie? Yes! Wow. Talk about typecasting. Well, you mentioned Michael Giacchino a couple of times. Doctor Strange, of course, had a very good score. Atypical instrumentation. Had the sitar. Had the harpsichord. That harpsichord stuff was pretty cool. And, and another kind of big, kind of tentpole blockbuster superhero score. But at last... Giacchino is in the Marvel Universe. Finally, the Marvel Universe can get some decent damn scores. He's also doing the Spider-Man movie coming out next spring. Yes. This spring. Hopefully he can take over the entire Marvel Universe. Uh, well, Silvestri is coming back for Infinity War. And I haven't seen composer assignments for the other movies. But we'll see. Uh, other scores I liked. Ghostbusters! <laughs> Great movie! Underrated by the people who were the villains in the movie. <laughs> and the score integrated the Ghostbusters song into a string ostinato. And it was great. We're probably playing it right now. <laughs> uh, last score I can think of off the top of my head that I liked... Uh, Tale of a Lake by Panu Altio is a Scandinavian composer, and the score was for a foreign documentary. Uh, he previously did Tale of a Forest, and it was awesome. Tale of a Lake is just as good. Uh, he's doing another documentary this year. I don't think it's a tale, but it should still be really good. Never gonna get nominated for anything. You got any other scores you liked this year?
No. Oh, are, are we done then? I guess we are kind of petering out. Oh, man. Well, if we're going to talk about good scores, how about we go back to last year and we talk about Star Wars The Force Awakens? How did this not win the Academy Award? Goddamn fucking film legend John Williams scores a Star Wars score, his first good Scar. Scar? <laughs> His first good Star Wars score since 1983. None of this prequel bullshit involved. He writes some great new themes. He uses some great old themes. He weaves everything together with tremendous skill. And that's what you're supposed to be judging this shit on, is the skill of making a film score. Not just did you note those particular notes down yesterday. How about using your own thematic material and making a whole new piece out of it? We're supposed to be encouraging recycling. We're supposed to save the fucking planet. Come on, what are you doing, Academy voters? I have a great beef with the Motion Picture Academy of... I got the name completely wrong. Strike that, reverse it. I have a great beef with the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, not just because they made me listen to the Jackie score in order to do this show, but also because they did not award the best score of last year, which was John Williams' work on Star Wars The Force Awakens. John Williams is the kind of guy who will get nominated almost whenever he does anything for the rest of time, but I'm not sure if he'll ever win another one. He hasn't won anything since Schindler's List. But he gets nominated, you know, most any time he does a movie. You know, I wouldn't I would not be surprised if they nominate The Last Jedi. <laughs> we don't have any music from that to play under us right now. Damn. I know. But at least with last year, it's not like Hateful Eight was bad. Finney? What are we doing now? <laughs> <laughs> I think we petered out. Whew! I'm spent. <laughs> are you I, I think I, I think I'm kind of tapped out alright um should we say something to close the show now no Again? we already closed the show yeah but to close the post credits no, no nothing no I should just stop recording then unless you've got something else you need to reinsert earlier courage <laughs>